0: environmental conversations on creative art, scholarship, and teaching. This this is is ECOCAST. Hello and welcome to ECOCAST, the official podcast of the Association for the Study of Literature and Environment. I'm Gemma Deer.
1: And I am Brandon Calm.
0: Today's guests are Bridget Barclay and Christy Tidwell. Um, Bridget is an Associate Professor at Aurora University and serves on the ASLE Executive Council as the Public Engagement Officer. She writes and teaches about the intersections of gender, science fiction and the environment. Her recent work includes a COVID and Black Lives Matter reflection in the special environmental issue of MOSF Journal of Science Fiction and a piece on early 20th century women explorers in lady science. Christy is an Associate Professor of English and Humanities at the South Dakota School of Mines and Technology. She studied at the University of Texas at Arlington with Stacey Alimo and is the Digital Strategies Coordinator for Asli. She works at the intersection of speculative fiction, environmental humanities and gender studies and is co-editor of Fear and Nature, Eco-Horror Studies in the Anthropocene with Carter Souls. Together, Bridget and Christy have co-edited the collection Gender and Environment in Science Fiction, and they have a forthcoming special issue of Science Fiction Film and Television about creature features and the environment, a topic which will be the focus of today's episode. So welcome, Bridget and Christy, and thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for
1: thank having you us. Yeah, this one, I'm, I'm very excited for this episode. And it's its a perfect month to be discussing this. Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, so since we are talking about creature features, today's root word is monster. Um, So, the Oxford English Dictionary says that this originally meant a mythical creature which is part animal and part human, or which combines elements of the two or more animal forms and is frequently of great size and ferocious appearance. Um, The word later came to refer to any imaginary creature that is large, ugly and frightening. So monsters are therefore usually seen as inhuman or ahuman, defined in opposition to human beings. The word comes from the Latin monere, meaning to warn or show. The mon of monster is also the mon of demonstrate. And so this suggests that monsters exist to show something or to warn about something. Uh, Jeffrey Jerome Cohen's 1996 book, Monster Theory, opens with the line, we live in a time of monsters. 25 years later, that statement rings truer than ever. But in the age of the Anthropocene, perhaps our monsters are of something of a new kind of species. Bridget and Christy, can you start us off by telling us exactly what a creature feature is? I mean, I guess one way to answer that is to think about the term
2: itself, right? So there's the creature part. So they have um, animals, whether realistic or not, like the shark in Jaws or the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, um, perhaps a collection of animals, like a swarm of something. There's a great film called, great in quotes here, a great film called <laughs> Squirm <laughs> about worms. Um, um or it could be something more like the traditional monster that Gemma was just describing, but there's the creature. Um, there are also features in the sense of films and we talk about both film and television in our science fiction, film and television special issue. But a lot of this begins with film and then is adopted into other forms later. There's even novels and, um, uh, games and other forms now that might adopt that language because it's familiar. I would also say that a creature feature kind of comes with an assumption about quality. They're often B-movies, they might be described as, you know, so bad it's good, Um, and they combine then kind of pleasure in watching something a little bit silly, as well as fear at the monsters involved, Um, and they exist at the,
1: the kind of connecting point between science fiction and horror. Great. So let's, um, let's kind of build from that then and maybe talk a little bit about then what makes something an environmental creature feature. Where do we bring the eco into it?
3: So, so when we're, we're thinking about it, we sometimes think about the, the engagement with non human creatures, of course, right? And so non human can, uh, can be humans that have been transformed. So I like to write about woman animal um, <laughs> movies, right? So like Wasp Woman or Mesa. A terrible film, Mesa of Lost Women, which is just fantastic in its terribleness. It's actually noted as one of the most terrible movies. <laughs> so the women are part tarantula, but they don't look like it. They just they just dance really. You know, the tarantella is that the the name of the song, right? Um, so there's there's ones like that where we can read them through a lens with these creatures. So we can read it through the environmental lens, but then there's also some that are intentionally. Um, environmental right so especially the ones in the 70s so one of our favorite conversations is the the fully denimed sam Elliott in frogs (laughs) he's just like full-on denim canoeing through things and the creatures that are supposed to terrify us are just a bunch of frogs that are just being frogs normal size frogs like just (laughs) but sometimes they're dropping out of like they're they're looking a little menacing at the rich people who are causing all the toxic problems so, so sometimes they're more explicitly meant to be environmental, um, but even ones like, you know, if you think about the early kaiju films, right, that um, uh, mm. Godzilla and Gamera, um, all of those are are you know kind of speaking back to atomic um, warfare and toxins and and um, you know, so there's there's certainly a, a more of a lead, even if it's not the '70s um, creature features in kaiju that are doing explicit stuff, but a lot of it we can just read as as that if we come to it with an environmental um, framework. Mm -hmm.
2: And I might add thinking about those seventies films like Frogs or Night of the Lepus, both released in 1972, that 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 kind of explicit environmentalism is tied up in the history of the moment, right? That's at the same time as we're passing lots of legislation in the U.S. It's just a couple of years after the first Earth Day. And so audiences I think would be primed to see those messages much more clearly um, because of all of that's going on at the moment.
0: Hmm. And for you guys kind of working on this stuff, like what, what came first? Was there like an interest in creature features first? And then you're like, Hey, this is a great way to think about the environment or,
3: you know, was it the other way around? I, for me, I I mean, a lot of it um, grew out of just what Christy and I like to watch together through grad school. So we both were at um, UT Arlington together and both studied under Stacey Limo and we we um, so we spent a lot of besides playing spades we spent a lot of <laughs> off nights watching um, watching creature features and and having beers together and and just laughing I mean there's something just there's a, there's a good deal about the community with when we define creature features we talk a lot about um, the fact that there's campiness and community and like these messages mm-hmm. that if you can't sort of see the the camp the drag of of um, like really bosomy <laughs> female scientists that are right like that are wearing short skirts and it's like not safe for lab sort of work right but <laughs> so those sorts of things are just so fun to laugh together and we, and we started thinking about it kind of separately originally and we were doing presentations but I, I was just really like why do we enjoy watching stuff that's so bad with with creatures it's so bad with gender stuff it's it's so bad with science. I'm doing air quotes for science here a lot of times, right? There's always kids running around the labs. Why? You know, like we need someone to cause the trouble, I guess. But so we just started having fun with it. And I was just, I just started thinking, why do I enjoy it so much? That was, that's how I got into it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And the fun is a big part of it for me, too. And I have many fond memories of watching terrible movies with friends and, you know, giving them the Mystery Science Theater 3000 kind of treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also, For me, I think it was less trying to figure out why I like this, but trying to figure out why, especially during certain moments, historical moments, like in the 1970s and in the 1950s, and then in the 21st century with sci-fi channel films and the asylum, why they um, seemed to recur and why other people thought these were really interesting. Because even people who weren't interested in environmental issues were interested in these sorts of creature
3: feature films. There was that pushback a lot in the 50s too, as we're talking about the 70s. The 50s had, had you know, creature features were sort of, Um, grew out of this uh, desire to kind of push back against authoritarian and militarized science and institutionalized science, right? So it's, it was targeted for teenagers that were feeling like the, you know, Christy writes about the exploitation film part of, of a lot of this stuff that it's pushing back. Uh,
1: I I think it's interesting too um, how in, in a lot of ways, those like, really, you know, they're, they're, they're movies that are awful for a lot of other reasons, you know, (laughs) like the exploitativeness of it and the, you know, uh, but in in a lot of ways that those are the same ones that are kind of like at the forefront of, um, you know, making political overt political statements about, um, about this stuff. Like I, so I'm, I am an unabashed, I 100% love trauma movies. Um, (laughs) but they are also like really problematic in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, someone like Lloyd Kaufman has, you know, been very unabashedly, you know, like putting environmental messages into a lot of those really, really awful movies. And so, um, I think it's interesting, um, uh, to, um, and, and maybe this, this could kind of lead into a question about like maybe how you approach this in, in your classrooms in some ways, but I think, um, you know, Watching, you know, a lot of times I think our students think that we can only engage with like, you know, quote unquote high art to to make arguments. And I think um, thinking about ways that that stuff that is, you know, arguably quote unquote trash um, can can still provide us opportunities to engage with these really really complicated things. So um, maybe, yeah, I, I'd love to hear about how maybe some of some of the ways you bring these into the classrooms and some of the ways that your students have responded to to these.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, and I've got kind of two sorts of answers to that because within creature features, I teach films that are um, considered trash and considered you know not very good, and also ones that are like blockbuster movies and that everyone loves. So I teach Jurassic Park and Jaws regularly, which are both both function as creature features in all the kind of central ways, you know, with the the major animal Mm -hmm. um, kind of antagonist and the tension between human and non-human. Um, And they allow us to talk about environmental issues that I'm interested in, like extinction and de-extinction or human relationships to predators. Um, And students do a great job with those, right? They they get how to analyze them. uh, They see what they're doing. I have to push them a little bit on Jurassic Park for the environmental angle, but Jaws is an easy one. Um, But yeah, those are blockbuster movies. They're both Steven Spielberg. I mean, he created the summer blockbuster with Jaws. And then I also teach things like Blood Glacier, which is an Austrian film that I write about in the science fiction film and television special issue, um, or Night of the Lepus, the kind of early 70s film. Neither of them are good, right? And and that's, that's part of why I like them. But as I ask students to uh, work with them and to discuss them, they have a hard time with that sometimes because they they have trouble seeing past the kind of schlockiness and the cheesiness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to do the fun part, which is kind of make fun of the the silliness. And I'm like, yeah, we can do that. But also there, there are things happening here. And I think that's really interesting um, because it actually kind of makes the point for us that Bridget and I are trying to make about the kind of cultural significance of these films, because they have built into them in these assumptions about the natural world and human relationship to them. Um, and creature features and exploitation films um, do this a lot. They build in these messages because if you're doing the thing that people want, which is say animal attacks or naked people or whatever, depending on which type of exploitation film it is, you can add whatever else you want. Right. Roger Corman talks about this too. Um, and he's you know, prolific and well-known for these kinds of films. But because it's not the sort of thing that audiences are are used to thinking of as a subject for analysis, those messages kind of sneak past their guards, right? So Mm -hmm. when they have more progressive or environmentalist sorts of messages, then that can be really culturally useful from my perspective. But then they also sneak in some things that are possibly dangerous. And so it kind of cuts both ways. And part of what I'm doing with my students is trying to help them see how the, how this works, how these are
3: doing cultural work, even if they're not aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of the same thing, although I think that, that, I mean, you and I think the, the grossness, the silliness, the ugliness is, is part of the aesthetic pleasure, right? Like even when I talk about, um, suitmation, when I teach Gamera or Godzilla, the old, you know, suitmation, I bring in, um, Susan Sontag stuff with aesthetics of destruction and the fact that it's like the slow violence that also re relives the violence of the atomic warfare it's the way Sontag writes about it. Um, so there's just really cool absurdity to it because it's a, it's a human, very clearly there are humans in, in, in those rubber suits fighting it out. Um, and, and like, if you haven't seen, is it Gamera versus Giron I think has, um, a simulation fight where there's one <laughs> where there's there's acrobatics actually involved like <laughs> like like doing a whatever what kind of bar you know where they do the flips on the bar and I was going to say pole Watson but that's not it but it's it's hilarious and, it, and because it's humans you just think like what were these people's lives like <laughs> Like how, how were they fighting these how do I get a job like this um so when I've used them like that we talk about that and in, in camp um I've in fact I have uh, I'm teaching Night of the Lepus, which is, so Night of the Lepus is, is, um, bunnies that are just huge, um, knocking over a, a very clearly model town. <laughs> and so, so there's just right, but it's, it's much like summation, You can just see that it takes you out of it, right? So the way I've written about, um, Creature Features before is that you can see the seams, and because you can see the seams, it mm. takes you out of any sort of um, right. So you're, you're you're kind of you're you're forced to look at more than just um, the 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 surface level story. Um, so I'm teaching that on a on a section with um, in camp for I'm teaching Rocky Horror and Gamera and um, Night of the Lipas soon um, in a few weeks. So I'll tell you how those go. I haven't taught um, Night of the Lipas yet. How did it go when you taught it, Christy? Did you on students? Yeah, I
2: taught it a few years ago, and it went pretty well. Um, I found that they didn't have a lot to say about it. Right? And it was one that wasn't widely available at the time, so I had to use class time to screen it, so we had less mm-hmm. time to discuss anyway. Yeah. Um, but they enjoyed it and could see where I was going with it and why I yeah. included it in the class. But they they seemed a little bit uh, stymied by the,
3: um, the lack of depth to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So I think that there's a, a lot of that with the campiness that we, like maybe my students are even more prepped for campiness because they have me. <laughs> 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 I am a version of camp. Um, but, but when I've taught Creature of the of the Black, from the Black Lagoon is the one I wrote about in the special fiction. I mean, it's one of my favorites, right? Lots of people's favorites. Um, and when I've taught that before, I've been sort of disturbed by, I had one class that I really was like, maybe I should do a recorded form for the entire section. <laughs> Christine and I would make jokes because... They always chose the scientists over the monsters that we would watch. It was a spec fiction and film course. And they always were like, well, it's okay for the scientists to, to throw toxins in the black lagoon and it's okay for, and I was just like, who are, who are you? Please stop. And I, the other section I was teaching was all like, received it the way I thought that the, all the students would, it was, we're kind of looking at environmental stuff. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see the the ways that students react differently. Um, and, and that like, even in what's the, the film you write about is her right um mm-hmm. christy in our book and my students so her is the one where there's right there um ai is being kept, held captive and da, da 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 and they all chose that they were like no the inventor guy's the right person here like they're, they're just robots it doesn't matter and so i just was like their ethics i was like please guys work with me on some <laughs> <laughs> un- moral decisions here <laughs>
2: Yeah, and I think you're talking about ex machina, actually. Ex machina, <laughs> right.
3: Yeah. I'm
0: talking about ex machina. That's right. Yeah. So you've both been talking about this like camp and silliness quite a lot. And, and I mean, throughout the conversation, the words like bad and awful have been thrown around <laughs> quite a lot, but it, but in a positive sense, right? You know, it's this kind of good badness that you're talking about. Can you, Why, what about that is important? Like why, um, what does this like kind of joy and campiness bring to the environmental discussion that, you know, a a
3: more serious text doesn't? So that's when I I tend to write about this a lot. My students um, hear me quote Haraway and and Limo all the time with with the, um, you know, Haraway's idea of kinship and the fact that if we want to, we have to fight and play for a resurgent world. Um, and Alimo's uh, idea that if we can't laugh, we won't we won't desire the revolution. Um, and, and it's I mean for for at least ten years now we've had this conversation in environmental um, at ASLE right and in other environmental spaces that teaching environmental issues. So we teach gender issues and environmental and race issues. Gosh, like talk about like daunting, right? It is it is you can you can just feel the weight of it. Um, and so it, it, I, I started digging, really having to dig um, years ago and, and conversations were coming up throughout Asley, Like how do we stay hopeful when we get all of this bad news? And especially during the, during the Trump presidency, right? It's hard to maintain some sense of hope. And so I, I was really having to like search for ways to do that. And I think there's, there's been some great writing on it. Right. So, um, Haraway and Alimo, but also Nicole Seymour writes about that, the fact that the, there's pat, there's power in satire and camp and humor. Um, and it's really important for us to have that sense of community, right? Those Those things all build community because if we all, if we, the four of us speaking here today, we probably have a similar sense of what is absurd in the world, right? <laughs> in terms of environmental things. And so if we, if we can kind of play with the camp of that, right? If you can, if you can, um, mock the same things, then you're building community in the ways that we see the world as absurd. And then you're not just on the outside of it thinking like, ah, what's the world doing, but we're, we've created some sense of solidarity against, um, those absurdities. Right. And, and just laughing is, is I think a really, I think, I think laughing is really strong. Like, you know, what, what's the, what's the, um, phrase that, uh, Men fear that w- women will laugh at them, right? That's the Atwood mm-hmm. quote, and uh, women feel that fear that will be killed. Um, so there's right, like laughing about some of this is kind of helpful.
1: <laughs> I, I, as you were talking there too, that it made me. Um, I think there's there's something to that too, just in terms of there there's something about the imperfection of it, I guess, is, is what I'm thinking and, and and the ability to grapple with imperfection and be okay with imperfection. Um and I'm not trying to like make sweeping assumptions, but I feel like, you know, the other the other side of that political spectrum is about consistency. It's about normalcy. It's about in some ways perfection and, you know, not being able to laugh at yourself, not, you know, not being able to admit your mistakes or to, to work through those mistakes and stuff like that. And so, um, I think that's another really interesting, you know, kind of connection to this and in that sense of community that we're able to, you know, we, we can laugh at ourselves a lot of the time and, um, you know, and and again, not you know, thinking about the Trump presidency and you know all of just the the laughable but also horrific things that happened mm-hmm. in that four years. Um, but that's a person who was never able to admit mistakes, who was never able to laugh at himself, mm-hmm. um, or or you know be be a part of of that broader you know community that, that that's trying to be developed.
3: Yeah if you think about too, like I, I can't even remember what Sarah Palin looks like, but I can remember Tina Fey as Sarah Palin. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so those sorts of things, I mean, it, they really are. I think there's, it, we, I think they can often be overlooked, but they are extremely powerful. Just being able to laugh at something.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and so I think this maybe is a good opportunity to, to start thinking about, um, you know, what these, you know, we've been focusing on creature features and, and, you know, the ways that these are, you know, in many ways highlighting this monstrous thing or even this monstrous other typically, right? That it's, not, it's a non-human. Um, so maybe I'd love to hear um, from both of you about how, um, how these get us to think about or grapple with, you know, humanity um, and or humanity's relationship to the natural world.
2: Yeah, so so thinking about creature features as films about the non-human like that non-human is defined in opposition to the human, right? And these films rely on that opposition in much the same way that the kind of definitions of monster, um, have done for so long. They either seem to present humans as the dominant species, you know, we deserve to be in charge. And here is this temporary threat from an an animal or a non-human other, or they show how human and non-human are kind of terrifyingly interconnected. Um, so it seems like a lot of creature features are really getting into this widespread fear that we're not as special as we think we are and that we cannot control the rest of the planet in the way that we want to. And that's one of the major themes of uh, Jurassic Park. That's one of my go-to films, right? (laughs) That, you know, we think we can control all of this, but we can't. Right. Um, and some creature features kind of uncomplicatedly reinforce these ideas about humans and non-humans being separate, um, and some don't. And sometimes how, how much those ideas are reinforced or challenged might have to do a lot with how we watch them, right? So um, Stacey Alimo writes about you know, the muddled middles of monster movies, and I forget, it's like, it's like from 20 years ago now, but I've always found this a really useful idea. Because for us watching these films, we do identify with the monsters a lot of the time, right? So, you know, Bridget was talking about teaching these films and having the the students identify with the scientists when she doesn't think they're supposed to. Um, Like when I teach Godzilla, I come in and I'm like, poor Godzilla. And they're like, he destroyed Tokyo. (laughs) And and so there's this kind of tension between um, seeing the, the monster or the creature as representative of something that exceeds human power and sympathizing with that because we created these problems and also wanting everything to go back to normal at the end of the film. Um, and in some ways um, it, it raises these questions about whether or how far we can see ourselves as the kind of heroes of the films or of life in general. Um, and I think this actually connects really nicely with Steve Russ and Carter Soul's um, description of eco horror, which is also definitely tied in with our discussion of creature features. Um, They write about um, how eco-horror is not just nature strikes back narratives, but also narratives in which humans do awful things to nature and in which um, these environmental issues are represented and lines between human and non-human are blurred. And I think we see that in uh, creature features in all of these different periods.
0: What you were just saying just kind of got me thinking about... um... You know, you've got this opposition between the human and and the non-human. I wonder whether it's like, you know, it's it's us trying to reinforce our sense of rational. So like, the monster is always like this irrational force to be reckoned with, right? And the and the humans irrational. But like, is there also a way of kind of reading it the other way around, and that the the human actions are actually quite irrational in this context? Um, you mentioned a little bit about uh, kind of. Um, Jurassic Park being your go-to of kind of like us being thinking we can control things, but but actually not being able to. I was wondering, are there are there any kind of newer, more contemporary films that you feel are are, are really talking to our current moment, or are you mo- mainly working on older films and kind of reading in, them in today's
3: context? Uh, well, I can tell you that. Christy definitely does the the more recent stuff and she's definitely far into horror so when she she'll get have have a lot of other um, newer stuff to recommend I tend to focus in the 50s um, because well that was the era that's the era I wrote about for you know my dissertation so I was doing pulps from the 20s through the 50s and it's just the era that I mean I, it, it just draws me in and I can't handle, I can't handle too much horror. So anytime a new <laughs> horror film comes out, I'm like, Christy, can I watch it? And she's like, no, do not watch Midsummer." Right. Like she does. <laughs> she, she do not watch. Do not. She tells me what not to watch She has a good, good read on what I can handle. So the fifties, the fifties are, are good for me, but I do, I would do really like, um, Fortitude, Don Keatley um, writes about it in our, in our special issue. It's a series um, from 2015 and, and it's, so it's talking a lot of, so there's, it's, um, uh, permafrost is defrosted and there's, uh, it's, there's a mammoth, right? It's a woolly mammoth. If, have you watched it? I don't it remember movie? the details. <laughs> it's been a while since I watched I, once I heard, saw her, that she wrote about it and we were working through the special issue, I I just binged on it because it was so good. But I think it was that, and there's a, and there's a, like an alien parasite as part of it, but it has to do with, you know, climate change. So there's, there's all of this thawing happening and that's what's causing, um, the issues. And so I think that's a really cool new one. I'm, I really like, um, uh, shape of water too, right. Which is the re redoing, um, is the, one of the more recent ones, um, that Robin Murray and Joe human write about in, um, your book, Vera nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I I was just thinking about what, while you were describing feeling for Godzilla, I was thinking about Colossal, which I, Actually, mm. forgotten about for a little bit. Do you like? it? Do you know that one with with Anne yeah, Hathaway? That
1: one's that was really good.
3: Yeah. yeah, and so that one is less. It's not so much environmental. It's more gender, really. Yeah, um, but it's a really cool one where she, where she is the kaiju, right? So she's sort sort of um, inhabiting this, or, or or rather has this sort of like kaiju symbiotic I mean, or yeah, 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 relationship with it. So I think those are some cool newer ones. But Christie mm-hmm. is the go to on this one.
2: Yeah, and like. Jurassic Park is my go-to in a lot of ways, but like as the beginning of something that's still going on, right? So there's the sequels and Jurassic World movies that are still kind of digging into those same issues. And I really like the Jurassic World movies too, as continuing some of this. Um, And then, yeah, Blood Glacier that I mentioned um, writing about is relatively recent. Um, I would say thinking about 21st century creature features, there's a major thread of Kind of sci fi channel and asylum films that are all very low budget and all build on this kind of, I would say, monster of the week, but it's not like a weekly TV show sort of model, um, where you might have something like um, Sharktopus or um, Mega Shark versus Crocosaurus or all these kind of hybrid sorts of things. And they often also um, go back to the prehistoric. It seems to be one of the recurring 21st century themes, which is what, what do we do with the past? at this point like we're we're in this place where we're we're dealing with the potential loss of all these different species and with ongoing kind of sixth grade extinction and instead of kind of dealing with that directly we're looking back at previous extinctions and what if these creatures come back whether through microbial or bacterial sorts of things like in fortitude or blood glacier or or through you know gimmicks like in um like the mega shark movies mega shark is literally just like melted out of the, the ice in the Arctic as climate change continues. Right. It's just been in there waiting. Um, and so that's one of the major threads for contemporary films. I mean, you can see that in bigger budget movies too, like the Meg, which is, I think great fun.
3: That, our our um, special issue actually grew out of our, uh, an as they panel when we were last in person, where was that? Was, it's where y'all started. It, it's UC when Davis. y'all started your, yeah, yeah. that you right. Um, but it uh, we had we had extinction and evolution as sort of this go to. So I I, I did a Creature from Black Lagoon and it. But we were, it was we were really all arguing that there's this there's this revival of thinking through extinction, um, except having its de extinction, right? That's the way that we are now thinking through the sixth extinction. And of course, as we know, the science is here, right? At, wasn't it just a few weeks ago um, that? The company—I forget what company—announced that it's going to start woolly mammoths in 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 Siberia, right? They're going to start. They're going to start doing the <laughs> Jurassic Park thing. Um, so we have the science for it, and so it's been one of those ways of, you know, we've talked about it a lot in environmental studies. Like, is this a good idea, right? Like, yes, there's lots of things going extinct, lots of creatures, but is it like all of the movies tell us? It is not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> So, but it's, yeah, I think that, I think that's a really good point that Christy's making there that the the extinction, the extinction thing is really, really big right now. So the new stuff has a lot of that and, and Sharknadoes, of course.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the, the great irony in that too, is there, there's like a metaphorical reading for those things because especially the climate change ones where, where you're thawing something. And the reason that we're thawing those things is because we're, we're like literally burning the remains of these mm-hmm. prehistoric creatures that have been turned into fossil fuels, you know, like, and so there's, there's just that other, other kind of level to it as well. Yeah. Uh, I wanted, I want to briefly jump back. I, I just, this is, I guess, for my own curiosity, do you find that um, the eco horror films, the eco creature features do a better job of, emphasizing the villainous nature of humanity more so than maybe a standard creature feature does. Um, cause I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, something like a, um, like Halloween or nightmare on Elm street where, you know, those, those monsters are, are kind of much more quote unquote, straightforward evil. Like they're, they're not humanized in certain ways. Um, but with, and so like, it's, it's, it's obvious that they're the bad thing and we're, we're, you know, not supposed to quote unquote root for them. Um, and so I'm wondering if, if eco horror does a better job of kind of emphasizing that, um, that role that we play and getting us to, to root more for the villains that you were talking about versus just more straight creature features.
3: Christy will be better at answering this, but I will say that what was it? Is it God it was Godzilla Kong movie that was out a couple of years ago? Mm-hmm. Was that that was heavy handed with environmental and I remember having a conversation with Carter um souls and with Christy and just being like, I don't find it as useful. Like it's a little too like um saccharine in its mm-hmm. in its blame of humans. Like a little it's like saying like recycling will save the world. No, it won't. <laughs> it won't. <laughs> but it sure it's good to do, but no. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking really hard about this. Um, I think I'm a little bit thrown off by the question because I don't usually think of things like Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street as creature features, right? So the the monsters there are not creatures, right? In the same way, and so I have not quite put them in conversation with each other in my brain. Um, and I think those those kinds of things, those like slashers, like the 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 monster is like. And they're they're male in both these cases. So his his only function is to murder, right? There's nothing else. There's even if there's right. a hint of an explanation, as in some of the later Halloween films or something. It's not really to give to promote sympathy or anything. Right. But in films like um, Godzilla, uh, like the creature's purpose is not to murder. Godzilla does, right? <laughs> um, but but like, there's a larger picture to it than that. And I think this might be getting at some of the tension between science fiction and horror in, the, in Creature Features as well. A lot of times people talk about horror as being more focused on, kind of, um, on an individual narrative. Right? This is what happens to you or to your mm-hmm. family or to your home, where science fiction often addresses things that can be more societal or more global. Um, and so Godzilla then steps in here and represents something and something complex and something interesting. And it's not just a threat to one small group of people. And I think that bigger context gives more space for thinking in complex ways about the monster than just this, this one guy with a knife is going to kill me if I don't Hmm. escape.
1: Yeah. I think that's, yeah, I think that's a really interesting way to think about it. And I think it, it, it does emphasize that that impact, especially in you know in, in our conversations in, in the stuff that we do with asley that it isn't an individual thing, right as bridget said it 's not you recycling isn 't going to do much that this this has to be um, both a global effort but but primarily you know the an effort on the part of large corporations to make that change because you know <laughs> there 's only so much that we can do
3: bring down bring down capitalism right that 's yeah. the only way. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> Yeah. Great. Yeah, well, that's actually, there, there's a toll, there's a, there's another connection there. I mean, if we're talking about really low budget films, a lot of the times that are out of the studio system that are not part of this larger kind of capitalist money-making thing that they aren't, you know, I think there's another, yeah. it's a whole conversation for another day because we, yeah. we, it is, it is time to end on a roll. So <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah. All right. So I've got a 12-sided die here. Uh, We have two of you here today. So we're going to ask two different questions and we'll ask both of you to answer both of those. So uh, first one is... uh, well, this I think this is actually a, a great question for this because we've been talking about camp and joy and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, what has you most excited or hopeful right now? Um, this can either be like in terms of like someone's scholarship that has you really excited or just, you know, the world in general that's got you really uplifted and motivated.
2: One thing that's got me feeling really hopeful right now is actually seeing all of the, the new work coming out, both scholarly and kind of popular culture in indigenous um um, voices and Indigenous Studies. So, like, um, of course, I just completely blanked on the names of both TV shows I wanted to say, but
1: um, uh, reserve, Reservation yes. Dogs,
2: Reservation Dogs, and Rutherford Falls are both fantastic, and and I think getting a lot
3: of people thinking about things that they haven't been thinking about, and they're just fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I right now i've been I've been teaching um, environmental studies, an intro to environmental studies class, right now, and and made it deliberately about wonder and curiosity as opposed to, um, here's all the terrible stuff. (laughs) And so I'm finding, I'm finding it. It's helping me too. And I I did it partly because of where we are in the world. Like we're all exhausted. We're all, we've all had enough bad news for a little bit. (laughs) And also there's, there's lots of good arguments that, right. There's lots of good research that shows that we don't actually make changes. Um, We don't change other people's minds by with fear. We change it with joy and love and curiosity and right? It's the same as anything else. That's, that's why I'm getting students who don't, didn't are taking it because it fit their schedule. That's how I'm getting them to be environmentalists. So seeing their work and seeing them get excited about, um, Merlin Sheldrake's entangled life, you know, getting them excited about fungi and, and, um, world of wonders. And, um, we're reading Kimmerer right now and they're, and they're just like seeing them get involved. I'm, I'm really loving that. And, and, um, some students eco media projects i've been really into lately they've been giving me a lot of hope that and sourdough bread i've been eating a lot of bread.
1: <laughs> yeah i think the vast majority of the world has has re- resorted to carbs more recently <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> all right all right question number 2 is number 12 uh what's uh what's something you like to do on a day off
3: I like to, sometimes I wrote down when, when I was thinking through these questions, I wrote down that I want to drink beer and watch movies with Christy, but that's only because we haven't (laughs) seen each other in, (laughs) in ages. But what I usually do is, you know, go to used bookstores, look through pulp sections, um, you know, go on hikes, hang out with the dog, go on, went to the orchard yesterday with my kids. Um, so that kind of stuff. Sometimes I clean, but I don't like to, yeah, I mean and I would say most of the same things actually. Like our days off look very
2: similar. Um, going on a hike with my with my daughter, um, watching watching movies. Right now a day off would look like um sleep. But, <laughs> but that's not doing much.
1: Yeah, that Doesn't is a weird though? question I guess that's a weird question to ask when we're halfway through a fall semester. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, so thank you both so much for coming on the show. Um, it's been a really wonderful conversation. Um, how can listeners find out more about you and your work? Do you have any social media or websites or anything like that? Yeah, um, you can find me at christymtidwell.wordpress.com.
2: It's got all my, my um, publications there, any that I can link to. And you can follow me on
3: Twitter, christymtidwell, same deal. And I have uh, a Bridget A. Barclay Wix site, and um, I'm on Twitter as Bridge Barclay.
1: Right, and then just remind everybody real quick the the where we can find the this up, upcoming special issue.
3: Yeah, it's going to be sh- it's any day now. Actually, we just found out from the editors, and it's science fiction, film, and television. Um, so it'll be available through all the all the good databases. And- <laughs> <laughs> And where else? I think there's a, there's a, a couple of things you've done too with with your book on on Asli that's sort of open access too, so people can read about. Um,
2: yes, yeah. Teaching. So not not specifically about creature features, but about eco horror more broadly. There are a few posts up on Asli about um, under featured teaching um, about fear in nature.
0: Great. So we'll get that stuff linked in the show notes. Um, oh, oh.
3: Can I add to? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna add too that we are also working on a we think it's gonna be a teaching creature features um collection uh that we are finishing up the CFP for. So we will put it out in all the normal sites, but maybe if we get it, yeah, I don't know if we'll put it if we'll send it to you all too if that if that works out. But it'll be on Asley and other places too, although yeah. all of that.
1: Yeah, great. Yeah, we can definitely I mean, uh we we'll, we can get it added to the the show notes if if it's ready in time. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Um, awesome. Well, thank everybody for listening. I'm going to say that again. Cause that was a weird way to say it. <clears throat> All right. Awesome. Well, thank you everybody for listening and for joining us again this month. Uh, if you have an idea for an episode, you can uh, reach out to us, uh, through Twitter at asley underscore ecocast. You can find us, uh, through email asley.ecocast at gmail.com. And there's also a link tree on our Twitter that has, uh, Uh, a link to our Google form and just our our various ways of of getting in touch with us. So uh, reach out to us there.
0: And if you've enjoyed the show, you can help us to reach a bigger audience by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, we are always open to receiving your feedback. Thank you so much. Till next time.